so we actually recently, Imani recently did a study and we looked at the actions, financial psychology actions, as well as technology. What we wanted to look at is what happens if we bring technology and all of the great aspects that that has in a financial planning relationship, which means automation, it helps me organize, all of those great things that we expect of a technology. But then we bring in this new idea or kind of emerging topic for those who may be new to it, Mm -hmm. others who feel like, hey, this has been around and people are finally starting to talk about it. But we looked at financial psychology actions and we Mm -hmm. created a list of 21 actions and we said, of these 21 actions, what are the top five that are most impactful to clients? And when I say that the outcomes that we're looking at in that specific study are gonna be client satisfaction, loyalty, retention, reduction of financial anxiety. So all of those really powerful outcomes that we hope that we're providing for our clients. And we boiled it down to five of them. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast powered by Arrowroot Family Office that's at the intersection of accounting, wealth management, behavioral finance, technology, and entrepreneurship. We help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice by going beyond the numbers as we learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to discover the secret to their success a podcast that highlights everything from the transformative power of AI to embracing the human-first approach of behavioral finance to help you understand the psychological and emotional relationships to money and meaning. Here is your host, Rory Henry, director at Arrowroot Family Office and author of Holistic Guide to Wealth Management. All right. Hello, everyone. I am again joined by my guest co-host, Julie Johnson. Julie, how are we doing Hello, today? Hello, everyone. Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me again. Yes, of course. Well, you have uh, introduced me to a pretty interesting guest here that I'm excited. Pretty to dive interesting. Deep in. yeah, very interesting. <laughs> I'm excited to dive deep here into FinSight and behavioral finance. So let me introduce her. She has a PhD in applied family science and a master's in financial planning. She's the head of financial wellness programs at eMoney Advisor. She served as a co-author for the CFP board's book, The Psychology of Financial Planning. She holds a certified financial therapist designation. So without further ado, let me introduce our esteemed guest, Dr. Emily Kushel. Emily, how are you doing today? Doing great. Good to see both of you today. Yes. Thank you for coming on. So I have a lot of questions here that we can ask. But I think for our audience and for myself as well, um, I want to have you talk about this concept of financial wellness. You know, it's really a foundational part of what we do. I know you have a short definition and a longer definition. So I'm going to invite you to give our audience here the longer definition of financial wellness. Yeah, happy to do so. And thanks for kicking us off with financial wellness. So um, as Roy mentioned, that is my area inside of eMoney, very specifically, get ahead of our financial wellness programs. What that means is it's encompassing of continuing education as well as our wellness research. In In an effort to do that, as many good researchers do, you put some type of definition or framework behind that body of work. So the short definition for the sake of brevity is uh, the positive state of being resulting from a healthy relationship with our money and the impact that this has on all aspects of our life. Now, as we extend that definition though, it is at its core, this healthy relationship, right? But beyond that, it is the multifaceted layers of our personal relationship, our financial relationship with money. And this is going to encompass mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health here. Um, 
I do want to point out, though, as we talk about financial wellness, it can be really easy to leap to, well, what is financial wellness and how do we define the ultimate success of financial wellness? It's extremely personal, and there is no specific amount of money that signifies you have achieved financial wellness. Rather, it's more about understanding the action you have to take, um, understanding your financial situation and your behaviors and the actions you need to improve or maintain financial wellness. Yeah. And this looks really different for all of us based mm -hmm. off of education, mm -hmm. income, background, experience, your life aspirations, all of those things will identify your financial wellness. So as we talk about that, I just want to make sure that we keep it pretty yeah. open mm -hmm. because it really is defined by you and mm -hmm. and those that you have that are involved in that financial situation. Yeah, Wouldn't you is... agree to, oh, sorry, Marie. Go ahead, Julie. Wouldn't you agree to, Emily, that, that even taking a further step back, like you said, it's so individual for each person, each client, each prospect. And, you know, I, I study so much about the, the importance of building trust in these relationships. We all do. Right. And, um, some, I I'm reading a book by David Brooks and it talks about how the most successful opportunities for us as financial professionals are at the end of every single meeting, whether it's the very first time we're meeting these people or the hundredth, that when as often as possible, they can be leaving the meeting feeling empowered, feeling hopeful, feeling, you know, so even when we've had maybe some challenging conversations, they feel heard, they feel understood, and most importantly, they feel that we have their back. And it is so, I mean, none of that really necessarily comes down to dollars and cents. I mean, it does sometimes, but would you agree that really it's up to us as financial professionals to make them feel, even though we can't make them feel good necessarily during every meeting, but at least feel empowered? Would you agree with that, Emily? Absolutely. I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to a client that we work with, individual, couple, family, is instilling confidence. Yeah. Yes. One of the greatest barriers to advice seeking is what we call it in research, but essentially why we're seeking um, guidance from a financial professional is the fact that I don't want to feel incompetent. I don't want to yeah. feel like I don't know what's going right. on. We're all intimidated. Also yeah, we're, yeah, we're kind of overwhelmed judged. because our, our finances are, you know, at this account or one account, and I don't really even understand how it got no. there and what to do. And one of the greatest things, again, is, is this confidence that we can instill in them. And that comes from helping uh, present financial peace of mind, right? So mm -hmm. one, just saying it's, it's going to be okay and we can do this together, offering education, offering insights into that financial plan, so speaking in ways that that everybody understands, right? Um, but right. absolutely, it's not always dollars and cents. And oftentimes yeah. to get to the dollars and cents, it's doing the more intrinsic work. Yeah. And like you said, I think, you know, we've got this. We'll figure this out together. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, go for it. Speaking of that intrinsic work, because I, I read one of your articles in FA Mag, Emily, where you talked about how we can start aligning goals with, with intrinsic meaning. So not just saying, you know, I have a goal of saving for retirement or the goal of building an emergency fund. Can you talk about how we can infuse our goals with that intrinsic meaning 
to make it more possible for clients to start, start meeting those goals? Yeah, absolutely. So here's here's kind of the way that I think about it is we all have who we hope to be on our very best day. This is our most ideal financial self. And the most ideal financial self is doing all of the right things. We're taking all the right steps. We have all of the great behaviors in line and it's leading us straight towards our goals. That's the ideal version of ourselves. And that's how we oftentimes can create these goals and say, if I was doing everything right, this would be really wonderful. But the basic human condition is that unfortunately we aren't perfect and we are flawed and we don't always align with who we hope to be on our very best day. So it's understanding that I have this goal and I have communicated that goal and hopefully, you know, somebody's helped in uh, developing that as well, but it's understanding um, what's important to our clients, paying attention to the current behaviors and money management that they have in place right now. Mm-hmm. And looking at where perhaps these fall short or where there's gaps or discrepancies and saying, this is a really important goal, but I see that perhaps this is going to reduce the success of that goal. And there's different ways of doing that. And one of the ways is hitting on this intrinsic motivation, what's Mm. really important to you. So intrinsic being that this is motivating to you versus extrinsic. So think of getting an award, a value, you know, a bonus, something that says job well done by somebody else. But intrinsic is I'm doing it because this is really important to me. So Mm. if we think about it in terms of a financial goal and retirement's important to you, well, what does retirement look like? Retirement means that I get to go see my grandchildren more often, and that's really important to me. I've worked really hard to be able to spend that quality time with them. Well, unfortunately, today, at the rate that you know we're contributing, that is going to be severely limited. The kind of key piece here is that I'm going to tie the behaviors of today to the impact of tomorrow. tomorrow. That's what's important. So when I'm making that additional contribution and it feels like, oh, I'm limiting my my, my budget or my spending today right. and I don't like that feeling, well, I now know I have a very clear line of sight that this contributes to me getting more quality time with my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Mm-hmm. So today, me making these considerations feels a less you know, impactful. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm willing to do it because I, I want mm-hmm. that future. And that's really important to me. And that's really great value. So it's finding those moments where we can tap into the intrinsic motivation. That's so important. And we all, we all have it, it's, it but it's finding it. And, and making it feel less punitive almost. Right. Like, okay, yeah, we get to restrict our spending or we have to save more or whatever it may be and more hope and changing it into something that's more helpful. I love that. I love that. And that's, we talked about it a number of times in the show. I referenced Dr. Hal Hirschfield, Professor Hal Hirschfield in that future self. So it's painting that picture, having a vision of that future, but also how you're going to feel in that state, hanging out with your grandkids, right? Playing with those grandkids. How is that going to make you feel? So you tie that goal um, that number to that feeling as well as that vision of that of that future. Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. 
Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. Emily, because this goes back into positive psychology, I had Dr. Christy Archuleta on the on the show, and she talked about solution-focused therapy. I think it's a powerful tool that we can utilize that's utilized in the therapy world in our financial planning conversations. Can you talk about the positive psychology, for, for instance, solution-focused therapy, and how we can work with clients to have that positive frame of mind? Yeah, absolutely. So solution focused is going to be a little bit of exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. We're going to, they have the miracle question. So I don't want to dive into all of that, but if you have a moment, check out the miracle question and the immense power behind it um, and try it out a few times yourself and then perhaps try to bring it into client meetings. But thinking about solution focused therapy, think about a time where you've actually seen perhaps this challenge or this situation before thinking about ways that you overcame this challenge, ways that were really, really helpful to you, and maybe things that didn't go particularly well when you saw this same event or situation. So we're tying something that feels brand new to something that we've actually been through before. And what we're looking to do in that situation is pull tools and resources about ourselves in things that we do really, really well, identifying those strengths to go after this challenge. And it's a way to arm ourselves with things that we already know that we do really well. well. Um, It's kind of one of the most boiled down versions (laughs) of solution focus. And it's an opportunity similar when we're talking about finding this intrinsic value is to help clients understand what's important to them, identifying their own strengths, using those as resources and building that motivation and back to building that confidence because they believe in themselves that they can do this and you believe in it too. You're just helping to guide and navigate that journey. And that's a really kind of important evolution that we've seen in financial planning is letting the client take some leadership in the conversation, helping to define what their financial plan and success and wellness looks like. And you help offer that guidance along the way, yeah. arming them with, with the tools that, that perhaps already exist. Yes, it's self-efficacy. So, you know, you take their strengths, what they've done in the past, use that as a pillar for help them make, making decisions or overcoming challenges there in the future. Absolutely. This is so much of what I think we all did. Those of us who were old like me that were around a lot in 2008, 2009, and even during, you know, the um, COVID, just in the most dire times when clients are calling and they're freaking out, they don't necessarily want to hear, okay, well, your returns are actually better than X. Or they want to hear, like Emily and and Rory are both saying, they want to hear, okay, we've been here before and here's what we did last time that worked. Um, You know, just reiterating and reaffirming that that it's going to be okay. We're not apathetic to the situation at all. We're here for you. Um, But yeah, we've been here. This is what we did. Here's what we're doing now. It's going to be okay. Does that, do you agree with that? Certainly, because it yeah. it can feel a little fuzzy when we 
feel this overwhelming sense of financial stress and anxiety and everything just feels like it's really out of my control. So finding ways that we can take that control back by identifying our own strengths is really empowering because Mm -hmm. now, yes, there are going to, you know, there's going to maintain things that are out of my control. However, there are things that I can help by myself, right? And I can take some of that back and that feels really good. We reduce that overwhelming sense. And also having them feel heard, right? Just listening to them, letting them vent. Yeah. Yeah, it's the American Psychological Association study that people reference the stress in America. And one of the main stressors always at the top of the list is money. And Emily, it seems like clients really have that financial anxiety um, around around money, and they want to really understand how they can adjust their their attitudes and behaviors towards it because they don't want to feel stressed, overwhelmed, worried, uh, or unprepared. And and we as financial professionals can help them guide that along. You know, we talked about helping them uh, infuse their goals with intrinsic motivation. We talked about you know helping them uh, align that future self or their behaviors with that future self by having a vision as well as a feeling of what that that feeling or what that state's going to be like. Can you maybe talk about some other ways that we can utilize financial psychology within our conversations and working with clients uh, to help them have less stress and anxiety when it comes to their finances? Sure. So we actually recently, Imani recently did a study and we looked at the actions, financial psychology actions, as well as technology. What we wanted to look at is what happens if we bring technology and all of the great aspects that that has in a financial planning relationship, which means automation, it helps me organize, all of those great things that we expect of a technology. But then we bring in this new idea or kind of emerging topic for those who may be new to it, Mm -hmm. others who feel like, hey, this has been around and people are finally starting to talk about it, but we looked at financial psychology actions and we Mm. created a list of 21 actions. And we said, of these 21 actions, what are the top five that are most impactful to clients? And when I say that the outcomes that we're looking at in that specific study are going to be client satisfaction, loyalty, retention, reduction of financial anxiety. So all of those really powerful outcomes that we hope that we're providing for our clients And we boiled it down to five of them, and some of which we've talked about a little bit today, but helps me identify meaningful personal and financial goals and objectives, meaning that this is personal to myself Mm -hmm. um, and always considers what I value most in life. And then does that before they deliver financial advice. That part is is key here. They take time on the front end for this personalization and this self-discovery of myself, and they communicate it in terms that... I understand. And it's it's about making an effort to understand people's behaviors, their thoughts, yeah. their attitudes, the why behind the money. So this is this is kind of interesting because we did some previous research and we looked at um, whether financial professionals felt as though they were delivering on some of these aspects. And they believe that they are, and in some ways they are, um, but in other ways, They aren't. So what I mean by that is there were some discrepancies in this experience saying that clients said, hey, I really want this. Advisors feel as though they're delivering it. And when we did a deep dive on that, it was actually in very specific topics that we felt the discomfort come about. Mm. So financial professionals said, I am comfortable having uh, some of these tough conversations. 
But when we looked at those conversations more specifically, they leaned more positive. So they looked at, um, I feel pretty comfortable talking about retirement, planning, buying a home, et cetera, those things that are kind of exciting in life. When it got more personal, such as uh, death or illness of a significant mm -hmm. other, divorce planning, et cetera, some of those emotive conversations, yeah. we see them get significantly less comfortable. comfortable. So there mm -hmm. is something to becoming uh, comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, and I, I do want to, of course, put a disclaimer, there is specific planning and education and proficiencies that need to exist for some of those conversations. So absolutely so. Um, but this was just a general takeaway of, of how comfortable are you with these more personal and emotive conversations. And that's what clients are really looking. Yeah. I'm working with Julie right now. And we're actually putting a deck together uh, about different narratives that we have. And many times we want to lead with our knowledge, Emily, as you know, because we've done all this training, we've got all this education. So we want to lead with answers and being that answer person instead of really going into being that question person. So it's the difference between having that expertise narrative um, and as opposed to like a consultative narrative, maybe what we're talking about with behavioral mm -hmm. finance and, and financial psychology. And I love the work of Michael Bungay Sanger. He has the taming the advice monster where we want to talk about all our knowledge and tell it, or we want to save somebody because we feel they're going to make a mistake. So we want to maybe tame our, our inner advice monster and be that more curious, uh, person and, and ask questions kind of to dive deeper in what we're talking about here. Yeah, so there's something to quieting your inner dialogue and just being really present for yeah, the answers yeah. and allowing somebody the space and the opportunity to continue getting out that information, saying, is there anything else? Yeah. And essentially, and we will yeah. we will stop ourselves, right? We will say, no, I think I think that's everything for right now, which puts it on them to say, I believe that I've delivered the information that I have for you today versus I have enough. I've got enough here. I've seen this before. I'm already starting to fill in the blanks and that feels really disruptive and it doesn't feel authentic or natural because now somebody had me going down this emotional <laughs> journey and my life's journey. And then they said, that's enough. And now I feel, <laughs> like, you know, wait, what? did I say too much? Yeah. <laughs> did I do something wrong? Right. I right. learned a lot of the advisors that I work with and, you know, the great wealth transfer, right? It's a big topic, needless to say. And you could not be more spot on, both of you. And in, in the, some, one of the biggest superpowers that we as financial professionals can have is in learning how to sit with clients and be there with them and for them while they are going through some of the most emotional and uncomfortable situations, experiences in their life and helping them to navigate those. And a couple solutions, and then I'd love to hear some of the solutions that, that you've found and talk about, um, you know, and, and Ross and Marie and I were talking about this too. A lot of this comes from, fortunately, from experience. And I, I say, unfortunately, because people that have not been in our field very long, it's like, well, you know, what do I do about that? So go do your homework, research, talk to people. But sometimes it's more in what you don't say, right? More in literally sitting with them, not saying anything, letting them talk about what's going on for them. And then knowing, you know, how to, to absorb some of what they're saying. And then again, through experience, knowing, okay, here's what I think they need me to say. 
And maybe I don't say anything today. Maybe I just give them a great big hug, say, we are going to figure this out. We've got this. And, you know, why don't we talk again in a week or, you know, just whatever the situation might be, right? It's not a cookie cutter. It's definitely customized. And, but again, the point is, is and I think this talks about the answer monster and, and whatnot is sometimes it's better to just listen and to be there for them. Um, and that goes against the grain of our brain often. So I would love to hear some, some thoughts, experiences, solutions that you have. Yeah, I think this idea of experience is really powerful because we have experience in different ways. We have our life experience, our professional experience, our educational experience, and each one of those is going to define our, our view of our life, our profession, and the way that we serve our clients. And we have to be okay with understanding that we won't always have the exact experience to mm -hmm. help inform a situation. So if we think about our younger advisors or financial professionals, they may have some education experience and that's really fresh and new, but in terms of life experience, and I don't mean that in a, in a way to say that, you know, you, you just don't understand the world. What I mean is the likelihood that a 20 something year old coming out of college has experienced the death of a significant other, like a client that they may be sitting across the table from is less than likely, right? It's the same as the experienced planner who's sitting across from somebody going through retirement and struggling with this mm. identity crisis of, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, this was everything to me. This is how I saw myself in the world and in my life, and this feels very different. And at each one of those stages, we simply will not have the exact same experience, well, we, we probably won't ever, but we won't have the same experience as that person sitting across the table from us. So to your point, it's really important, one, that we understand when to be quiet, but to educate ourselves and to find opportunities of how do I make that experience for them something that perhaps I can't be right there for in my mm -hmm. mind because I haven't experienced it myself, but make it more comfortable for them and still mm -hmm. meet them exactly where they are, because for many of us, we will always be at some type of deficit with experience. And so it's mm -hmm. so important for us to do our work. I'd love to, to add on to that, if I may, and just say, so even for the those of us who have been around a while and have maybe unfortunately experienced a lot of challenges or death or whatever, even, even we must be careful to never assume that our experience is like that of anyone else. And so rather than saying, I know how you feel, I, I strongly request people not say that because you don't, right? No matter what. And certainly do our best never to assume that we know how someone else is feeling. Rather flip it and use that as an opportunity to ask questions, to gain even a deeper, more authentic bond with that person by you know, making it, we should always do the best we can to make it about them, right? It's not about us. It's about yeah. them. So I just, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Speaking of questions, I always like to give our audience best questions to ask because they're always like, what questions do I ask when I'm working with clients? I love open up questions and I really do love scaling questions, Emily. Can you kind of talk about how we can connect better with clients using those open-ended questions and using scaling questions to really help them quantify uh, maybe some of those qualitative measures. Sure. So 
If you're asking an open-ended question, of course, this just means, hey, we're trying to not set up the question right. to end in a yes-no answer. We're trying to figure out a little bit more information. Something to what I said uh, earlier is allow them to continue to go. Allow them to open up that space. As that's happening and as you're reflecting back to them, there is real power in saying, hey, I think I understood it this way. Or correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I believe I heard now, the power lies here that they will say, yes, that's correct, or they will amend the answer for you, which means I've got even more information. Yes, you grab that information correctly, but here's something that was a bit incorrect, or now that you say it back, that's not really how I mm. meant it, and I have something else to say. And now we've both got a clearer picture of exactly what that communication was, and that's incredibly powerful. It's a really, mm. really simple way to start adding that into the conversation. Now, in terms of a scaling question, oftentimes assigning like, you know, one to five, one to 10, yeah. whatever your scale is, um, what we're trying to do is understand why it is that they gave that number today. Why did you say two out of five? Tell me what two out of five means to you. I can't necessarily interpret that. I need you to tell me. And again, we'll, we'll fill that in together. Now, what would it take you to get from a two to a three, what could we do? What does that look like? What would that feel like? Yeah. And then we start to break that out into actions mm -hmm. and we can make those actions as quick as, hey, tomorrow I could go do X or by the next time we meet, I'll check you know, here in the next week or so and we'll see that this has been done or perhaps that's a little bit longer timeline, whatever that looks like. But we start to put actions to it and we start to break it down to where it's not so overwhelming, kind of back yeah. to what are the tangible steps that we can take together? And you continue to check in on that. I think one of the greatest mistakes is that we do this really in-depth work up front yeah. and we're like, well, yeah. you know, we, we figured that out and I've got an idea of who you are and, and what's going on here. We have to go back and check in. We have to can like rediscovery, like yeah. Rory said. Yeah. Yes. And what we found in the research that we done was with these financial psychology actions, we found that, you know, hey, there's these really great outcomes. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's consistency of the actions that's really mm -hmm. important. And we saw that it was less than 50% of the time that advisors continued to focus on client values and what was important to them because we did some of that, you know, early quantitative and qualitative data yeah. gathering, personal gathering, and we see that as informing you know, the solutions going forward, but we have to go back and check. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I work, that. I was working with a client and we I talked about the value of, of that. They valued uh, their family and time with family. And I think we've all seen those measurements of like how many times we may see our parents, you know, we see them twice a year or three times a year on the holidays. And so we, we talked about how they want to spend more quality time with their family and also just communicate more frequently with them. So we ended up uh, coming on a, a goal of talking to them 30 minutes, uh, you know, every Sunday, and they set a call on their calendar to make sure they check in uh, with their parents 30 minutes every Sunday. And they had such peace of mind <laughs> that worked out so much better mm -hmm. as far as what they, they valued in our conversations so much more than yeah. let's say what we're going to do in retirement. So like, thank Rory, thank you for that rewarding push towards having a more engaging conversation with our family because we really, mm -hmm. really want to do that. So it's going beyond there, using that value of family and then creating that smart goal that we did yeah. to start communicating with the people that they love. That's so smart. And I love 
it's like this sort of big idea and then making it into bite-sized action items and then they can really feel because so much of this comes down to control right and so when you see when you have the action items and you see that action items are working that it just feels again i keep i keep saying the word empowering but i love that and i think too to to also bring it back to the financial professional for for financial professionals to be able to not feel so so overwhelmed in having proactive communication with their clients it doesn't have to be you know an hour long conversation every month right it can be for you know companies that allow it a quick text how are you i remember you know your son had a important test or an important soccer game or, you know, whatever. I remember this hat was going on for you. How did that go? Those just little simple steps, you put them in your CRM, you give yourself a reminder, you know, follow up. How was this? Those just little pieces of additional engagement are so super meaningful and they're not that time. They're not that time. Uh, Intensive. They don't require a lot of time. Thank you very much. Um, so I wanted to, and I wanted, you know, so much of what we all hear that I think is such a huge piece of what this FinPsych behavioral, you know, finance, all of this, we hear so often that clients, prospects would rather go to a dentist than have a conversation with their financial professional. Hopefully when... Uh, advisors and you know financial professionals starts putting some of this, uh, some of these actions into place. It feels far more like you're building a relationship, relationship. with another human being, and that takes the pain and the angst away. Um, so, with all of that said, it it feels right. It seems right. It all seems to make sense. So Emily, what have, what have you found that it are maybe some of the biggest reasons why financial professionals still yeah. what are the barriers? struggle <laughs> to do it? So it's similar to, to our clients. You know, this is still a new emerging topic, if you will. The education wasn't necessarily there in the training of the financial professional. So even those that say, I really want to do this, I believe in this, and this feels right, how do I do that though? Yeah. Where do I build that yeah. into my current client services? And what does that look like for me? Because I'm, you know, maybe perhaps changing my view in this field's a little bit different than what I've done in the past, not only for me, but for my clients, they have an expectation of the experience yeah. with me. So first and foremost, there is some of it that we generally see people are open to financial psychology and behavioral finance. In fact, we see that in the results of what the Planners expect of the client outcomes is that they they expect to see more satisfaction, decreased financial anxiety, and so there is um, acknowledgement that this is this is important. But to that point, many have also said that they don't feel that they've had the education. So our newer financial planners that are coming out, they have the benefit of the CFP board, who has made it a principal knowledge topic and the exam, meaning. It is a competency that you have to have, which is mm -hmm. the psychology of financial planning, and it makes up 7% of the exam. And that was introduced which in March. Will, will increase soon. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And, just saying. <laughs> no. Yeah. And and so you know now it is in the curriculums of those that are going through yeah. a registered financial planning program. But for many of our professionals and advisors, that just hasn't been the case. And so while there is unquestionably a number of benefits as a result of applying financial psychology, many of the barriers exist because they just aren't quite sure. So first yeah. and foremost, one of the kind of easy ways to start putting this into action is set the client's expectation, right? Say that I am looking at kind of new ways of, of having this conversation. I encourage you to, um, you know, give me some feedback on this, but we're going to try something. It feels a little funny. It kind of feels a little new. And so we're going to, we're going to try it out together. Right. And now I've disarmed myself. I've disarmed them. We know that, you know, this may feel a little bit different. Um, Again, we're in it together. Yeah. We're, we're going to explore all of this together. And that's, that's really something for kind of existing clients. For new clients, make this as a part of that talk track when you're saying, hey, these are the expectations of the interactions and services that we're going to have together. I believe that understanding about you is very important. And I, you know, I encourage you to share with me. Also, this is this is a safe place, you know, and so we have this comfort that needs to exist too, because remember, we have people that are coming in feeling super overwhelmed. We feel stressed. It feels like everybody else has got it together. And I'm meeting with somebody who's got credentials on the wall, so they clearly know what's going on. Yeah. And now they want me to reveal to them that I don't know what's going on. So we need to set the safe space because we're not only asking about finances, but we're asking them to reveal a lot yeah, about themselves. Um, so make that as a part of the uh, the service offering and the conversation Dialogue. really early on. Yep. Yeah. Totally agree. It's also a wonderful way to, you know, as we go through the great wealth transfer and, you know, we all know the statistics, but I'm going to say it anyway, by 2030, you know, approximately 70% of assets under management are going to be held by women and people under the age of approximately 55. And I think we all agree, you know, we need to get to know people as individuals, but generically speaking, it tends to be true that women and younger people want this engagement and this, you know, safe space that we've been talking about more and more and more. So, you know, it it could not be a better time to be adding this to our, you know, everyday conversations, our repertoire with our clients, our repertoire with our our new clients, prospects, et cetera. So I yeah, I you're so spot on, Emily. It's great. Yeah. And let's talk about maybe the the um ability for or actually what we what we talked about before we got on the call about how financial professionals should be doing the work on themselves first and experiencing you know what values-based decision making looks like or values-based planning, looking at our whole life, as you mentioned earlier, and I talk about on the show frequently, the other dimensions of our well-being, our our social, our occupational, our our physical well-being. So doing that work on ourselves, understanding, you know, our money story our early influences with our beliefs about money, who influenced us, what events influenced us. So can you maybe talk about the importance of really doing that work on ourselves before we start working with clients on it? Certainly, yes. So as a part of the educational experience, first and foremost, knowing about yourself is going to be critically important because I view the world through the lens of Emily. That is informed by my experience, my education, anything that's happened to me. But that's just the world that I 
see. And so for me to see it differently means that I have to really put in the work um, to do that. And part of that work is understanding why the lens of Emily looks like it does <laughs> today. And this is something that we're borrowing from a lot of our mental health professionals. And mm-hmm. it is the self of the therapist, which is um, for those who are unfamiliar, essentially mental health professionals are trained to go through their own self-discovery before meeting and treating clients, because again, it's going to inform the work and the services that they do. And it's important to understand where that's coming from and how it's informing ourselves. The same is absolutely true for a financial professional and the way that I developed my own values around money, what I believe about money and what that looks like and how it shows up in the conversations that I have with clients and how that's going to ultimately influence the experience that my clients are going to to have. And if you're looking to start implementing some of these things, understanding what areas are you really comfortable talking about and what areas are you a little less comfortable and how could I get more comfortable in doing that? Um, but ultimately filling in those, those gaps of our own history, there's several ways to do it. There are tons of educational resources. There are yeah. courses out there. If you haven't ever done your own financial genogram, do that. It's essentially the family tree of your behaviors and attitudes. I have my students do it. Uh, we're starting up class today, and so they'll do it here in a couple <laughs> of weeks. And we just look at those behaviors and attitudes that came from those before us and those that were around yeah. us. And we say, hey, I really like this one. I want to keep this one. And Mm -hmm. I didn't like how they did that. (laughs) And I want nothing to do with it. And it is so, so powerful. So I encourage people to go through um, that as well. It's really our holistic financial planning. We we talk about the holistic financial planning services that we can offer. And then we've talked about this on the podcast. And I frequently talk about holistic well-being or looking at our holistic well-being. But really, it's taking a look at that past, that relationship to money, which we, when we understand that better, can help us make better decisions for that future person. Um, and then also looking at our values. So I really kind of frame it in looking at our past, looking at our current circumstances, quantifying where we're at in all aspects of our life, and then looking to that future state, that future self. And how do we get to that person that we want to be? How is that going to feel? So really framing it in that past, that present, and that future state. Mm-hmm. And putting out there too, I think that there, there's not necessarily, or there's really not a right or wrong, right? So often it's just different. And we as financial professionals need to yeah. make sure that we are putting that out there again, um, providing that safe space. Um, just because your ideas might've been different than that of your parents, might've been different than that of your peers, whatever, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. So let's figure out what matters to you and what make what's going to make you feel successful. And anyway, so good. <laughs> All right. This has been awesome, Emily. Thank you so much for coming uh, on. Is there anything um, that you want to share with our audience that we haven't covered? I don't think so. I would just continue to underscore, you know, really the the main line that we've talked about here is the evolution of financial advice is really that we are holistic. We are mm-hmm. looking at a more personalized process and experience yeah. than what we've previously been at. And it's going to feel a little funny changing it up. <laughs> and there's a lot of work to be done 
on our side, there's work to be done on the, the client side and making sure that the expectations are set appropriately. But ultimately, I feel like we are headed in the right direction. Um, yeah. Those that are on the call, those <laughs> that have been on the podcast previously are all a testament to the great work going on out there. So if you feel like, hey, this is new and strange, and that's okay, we welcome you. <laughs> it's and still new strange for us who are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we know been. that you're. Yeah, yeah, we've like, been there in the awkward state and headed, overcome it. We're headed in the right direction, everyone. And this is a very, very exciting time. So um, continue to do the great work. I love it. I love it. Woo-hoo! All right. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much. If anybody wants to get in touch with you or eMoney, what's the best way to do so? Best way to do it is on LinkedIn or, of course, going out to eMoney Advisor. You can find all of the great work that eMoney is doing as well. Insane amount of fabulous content on your website. Holy cow. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Thank you so much, ladies. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Rory. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Everroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.